0: Hello, everybody. I recording, and welcome to Nerd Speak. I'm Adam Koppel, as always, joined by Jay Patel. Today is Monday. It is March 29th. Um, we are joined later this episode by Asma Toomey of Hockey Graphs, and I have Pursue Care, which is a healthcare company and um and then that was a, we just finished up that interview it was honestly fantastic like she is really really smart yeah <laughs> like, that was really cool yeah i mentioned at the end of the interview how just like she said a lot of math words and i was like okay I don't know what that means but it like sounds like something i want yeah, that would be cool to know what it means and yeah, just about you know she obviously she knows a lot about hockey analytics but very well versed on all sorts of all, all the sports and how they transfer over, and just the, the field of data science in general, and the future of it. That's a really good conversation. Make sure you stick around for that. But um, before we get into that, we're just gonna, you know, do a little nerd speak speak. Um, baseball. That baseball. Just, this isn't that nerdy, but just kind of like weird. Th- this morning, New York <laughs> Yankees. Like there was just chaos on Twitter because Aaron Judge wasn't in the lineup. And that means that he's out for the season. It doesn't. But uh, he wasn't in the lineup. And then Aaron Boone's um, Zoom call got delayed. And Cashman was supposed to speak instead. But now Cashman still has never spoken. So Boone went on the yes, air, And it was just full-fledged chaos. And I still don't know why Cashman was going to speak or what was going on. Because it's nothing to do with Aaron Judge. That's what we know. Aaron Boone said Judge is okay. He was just a little bit under the weather. So – that's fine. I'll find it, Andy, but there seems to be something like I, I don't know. It, I think is it, it, all I this think, just to say Tyler Wade's the twenty sixth man.
1: I think what Cashman was gonna talk about was just like the roster itself, which you know, like at the end of it, it's kind of lame that like all the build up was for that. But I don't know what else there would be. Um, yeah. I'm glad Judge is okay, but, you know, a really weird morning for Yankees fans. I don't think I've seen them, like, fret out over something that much since, like, signing Garrett Cole, maybe. Um, It was wild, man. Yeah, that was really weird. I think the amount of panic tweets I saw made me think, like, you know, someone on the team died. Um, But
0: Aaron Judge had the sniffles. Okay, so Cashman is speaking. He he spoke a little before. So this was the information we got from uh, This is Max Goodman. Um, Judge... Doesn't like the pollen in Florida. He's some just like me. Same, man. I've, yeah, you know, I can't stand sneezing. it. Uh, Luke Voigt's having knee surgery tonight. We knew that. Justin Wilson starting season on the IL. We didn't know that, but that sucks. Uh, Tyler Wade and Michael King both made the opening day roster. Um, a final decision needs to be made on the 26th man to replace Wilson um, and then Derek Dietrich and Robinson Chirinos have both agreed to stick around with the Yankees and report to the alternate site. Kind of surprising Dietrich did that. That's but cool. um That helps. Interesting. I like that. Good depth. Um, because, you, you know, like, like, if you're Dietrich, it's like, okay, the Yankees are going to get hurt. Like, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you know, Bruce has a slow start, and they're like, okay, we don't want him. We'll just call it Dietrich, and he'll be the first baseman. Um, we'll see. I think he also said some – this looked like pretty good news about Britain – um one second i just saw something and uh, cashman suggested a late may or june as a target date for britain to return which you know that's not bad i i think like i was talking to someone about this yesterday and you know this whole idea that you know guys nowadays are quote-unquote softer than they used to be more injury prone whatever they're yeah. definitely getting in they're they're missing games more than they used to without a doubt. I don't think they're more injury prone, I think they're just looking for injuries more and they're finding injuries more. And I think the the bigger thing with all that is that when you're a team like the Yankees, like the Yankees are making the playoffs this year. Like like no, there's basically a 99% like like they're making the playoffs. So you know, they have that luxury of okay, it's a 162 game season. If Aaron Judge comes up to shows up to the ballpark on Thursday, please don't do this, Aaron. But and he goes, you know, my uh, knees a little tight. but okay, we'll give you, we'll put you on the IL and give you two weeks off. And it's not that, you know, Judge couldn't play; it's that they don't want him to play because it's not worth it. And that's what sucks because we we, we want to watch Judge for 162 games, but you know, maybe sometimes it's serious injuries, but other times it's just like, okay, that's not. We just don't want to risk that injury because we're already so good and we don't need to. So, I don't know. That's my little baseball injury. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's like it's the same thing every year. Um, You know, we're like, oh, just stay healthy for the playoffs and it'll be fine. Like, yeah, I would want to watch these guys play during the regular season. I want to watch Stanton put up like a six-war season. Judge put up like a seven-war MVP season. But, like, at the end of it, you know, just make the playoffs, stay healthy, yeah. and – uh that's really all that matters.
0: And neither of them have – I don't think either, either of them have ever missed a playoff game. I know Stanton has missed a couple, but he's never missed a series. He's been on the roster yeah. for every series of Yankee, Despite playing like four games in 2018, he <laughs> just showed up for the playoffs. It's like – for 2019. Like you know, these guys, they missed the time, but in the end, who cares? Because Stanton missed all but like five games last year and then right. showed up and had five straight games with the home run. So it's like, okay, I'll make that trade. Like. Yeah. When this a World Series and you can miss as many games as you want. Um, this is uh, some I, – I know that, that, that there was like two minutes of rumors that this could be it. But um, Trevor's story, John Heyman just reported that he will – that, that they've confirmed he will not have any um, – Extension talks, right? Extension, yeah, into his walk here. Um, I think that there's – we can – just kind of looking ahead – how good do you think that this shortstop group is going to be so so it's lindor correa um corey seeger story and um javi Baez. Simeon, so far,
1: simmons too right they'll be yeah, there Simeon
0: simmons yeah. are also that that two two group it's it's a, and i think freddie Galvez probably doesn't go back in but he's full of them shout out freddie galvis um so but those five so we're talking about just in the situations, Lindor, I really think he's going to get an extension. I, I don't think he's going to even touch the market. I think that he likes it with the Mets. I think that going to out of the. If I had to pick like
1: one guy that's going to get an extension, I think yeah. it would be Lindor.
0: But you t- look at the other situations. Trevor Story's in Colorado. Must I say more? Um
1: not an organization.
0: <laughs> oh, yo, I just want to mention this. At some point in the, in the interview, Asma's like, um, she's talking about like some organization just like not. Like most like a, lot, she's like a lot of football organizations are into it and just some aren't and me and <laughs> they just looked at each other and i the, the one word that just kept going through my mind one term she, i just keep like hearing computer folk computer folk computer folk <laughs> <laughs> my god <laughs> all right but uh back to what i was saying so lindor i think is going to be story is in colorado no one wants to be there um you know they'll probably give him extension and trade him javi Baez, is in Chicago, which seems like a place he'd like to be. I think that they're gonna try to resign him. They did just completely lowball Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I am. Gave, f- Anthony Rizzo offered half of what they, Paul Goldschmidt,
1: Goldschmidt got. Yeah, that's
0: pretty really disgusting. Just, um, it's unreal, and yeah. I you don't know, we,
1: like just we, like my like initial reaction, right? Which like probably overreacting or whatever. I don't see how Baez would agree to a deal with them. Um, if you're gonna lowball like a homegrown first baseman like mm-hmm. that, right? Who's like. He's still good, too. It's not like not he's bad. Yeah. Um, I don't see why Baez would want to stay there. That team doesn't look particularly promising. Uh. KB's probably going to get traded. I yeah. yeah, I think he hits the market. I think...
0: I, I agree he hits the market. I think that, I do think that they are low-balling Anthony Rizzo. They're not talking to Chris Bryant because Javi Baez is their main target. I think yeah. that that, 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 that is the guy they want. But... Again, like you said, if you're Baez, are low-balling result, he's not coming back, it doesn't seem. Chris Bryant really doesn't seem like he's coming back. And, I mean, your best pitcher's 33. Like, you just traded Darvish. Like, like, this team is not promising. This is not a ball club to sign 10 years to if you want to win a championship. At least it yeah. doesn't feel like that right now. Especially I mean, it took them 100 to win the last one. Harvey's going to be around for another. <laughs> he's um, <a> eternal man. <laughs> But, um, all right, so, so yeah, so by a situation, I agree. I feel like he's in the open market. I definitely yeah. think story is. Correa, the Astros offered a beat. extremely low ball yeah. contract. It was like five years, 125 or something it like that. It was like six. Or
1: six 120.
0: years, 125.
1: Yeah, 120. Come on now.
0: Like,
1: yeah, it was, was just not bad. a deal. And, like, you know, it he said not a deal, deal. Like, in that press conference, he's like, I would like to stay in Houston, but if they're going to, like, disrespect me with offers like that, we'll play out this year, and then I'll hit the market.
0: yeah. I uh, think Correa is pro. He's injury prone, and as a Yankee fan, you know, eh? Don't want that. and also Yankee fans hate him. But <laughs> I'll get over that. Like, I would love him. I I think he is just t- talent wise, true talent. I think he's the best shortstop in baseball. I think yeah. like, he's a great defensive shortstop, and his bat is ridiculous. Yo. I would add, I would be all for the Yankees going all on all in on him, but. Again, I do understand, you know, after so much injuries, not tr- want, like staying away from a guy because of injuries. I definitely get that from Cashman, especially if you're putting a huge investment a couple of years before you may, I hope, put a huge investment into another injury-prone guy like Judge, and then obviously you don't yeah. want three injury-prone guys on massive contracts. Right. But um, the fourth superstar shortstop who's in the market mm-hmm. is World Series MVP Corey Seager, and um, Bob Kapish... I really don't know if I'm Clap- think Clapsic? Claps Clappish. I don't know. Uh Bobby. Um <laughs> Bob Bo- I and mean, he's you know one of the best Yankees insiders. He's very much in tune with the organization. He said the Yankees are preparing to go all in on Corey Seeger, that uh this whole you know, getting under the lux- the luxury tax was for Seager.
2: Yeah.
0: And you know, if that's true, I could not be happier. Uh, I mean, he's a lefty, and I I do think the righty lefty thing's a bit overrated. But you do like lefties, especially at Yankee Stadium. I think he is you know, that that's the perfect guy for this lineup. Yeah. Le- if you do that, and that's what we're talking about, the Yankees maybe train for Lindor. So if you do that, right now your infield is Gio, Glaber, DJ Voigt, right? Yeah. So. Obviously, Glaber has the most value out of those four. I mean, and yeah. he's probably going to be the best player. DJ yep. is consistent, but mm-hmm. is old and playing a position that, you know, is tough to age well at. Yeah. Gio is a I you know, I'm all for him. I mean, his bat is, is legit, and his defense has gotten even better. It feels like the more – updates to analytics to defensive analytics the better geo gets yeah, yeah it's just like the more track the more data that they get the more they update things it's just yeah. like okay he's good he's good he's good like i know he used to I, like yeah. be a, a negative five a couple years ago and now it's at like zero like, yeah near zero right
1: yeah um, i think like in the end though
0: i think void
1: kind of the odd man out right. yeah yeah um especially
0: like the yeah, he's been in, he's been pretty injury prone. Like like you know he this he tore his meniscus, he this foot stuff all That's last year. I mean he played crazy. through it. You give him credit. I love Luke Voigt. but you know that where say if you sign Seager, you're probably not. I mean Glaber they believe in, so you got to figure something out to do with him. The most likely scenario is put Glaber at second and put DJ at first because DJ yeah. has pro- proven he can do that. Maybe they trade they. They um, try to teach Glaber third, and then Move her put shallow. Geo at first, which yeah. kind of wastes his glove. Maybe they try yeah. to teach Glaber first. Teaching Glaber first, I think, is what would be the best defensive, B- the best case scenario for them defensively. I do think is Geo see- I mean, I, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit, but yeah, yeah. I think Geo Seeger, DJ Glaber. But I would be completely shocked if Glaber agreed to that because not even that. I think that's a really
1: hard transition to make from going to shortstop to
0: first base. It definitely is. I I just think that, I mean, first base is the easiest position to kind of learn. And I think if he takes an offseason and really tries to learn it, I think he would be able to, even if he's... I mean, voids a negative fielder. We don't really care. And, you know, just just, defensive... Defense at first is just the least important place you need defense. It's just the thing with Glaber is, like, I don't see... You know, he's a shortstop right now. Even a bad shortstop, like a bad defensive shortstop, gets mm. paid like a shortstop. Yeah. Like, he could have three more years of just horrid defense and good offense, and he will get paid a ton because he's a shortstop. If he has horrid defense and good offense at first, he's just like every other first baseman. Like, you know, he need so he, he stands outside of the pack. Obviously, Glaber would have the most value on the open market, Um, and you could probably get a superstar pitcher for him. Yeah. But – I mean, you know, it, it would open the Yankees up to a lot of scenarios where they would be trading a good player, getting a great player in Seager, and then getting a pitcher. So it's like, I think I saw scenarios like, if you had the guarantee of signing Seager or Story next year, would you trade Glaver for Luis Castillo? And, I mean, you got to yeah. think about it. I I, mean, I think it's just like great. really quick off my head. Uh, I, think, I think I would. I think I probably would because, you know. Glaber's been very very good he had an off year last year. I fully believe he will be a star mm. but you know so it's not what this te- in the end like what this team does not need is another power bat from the right side yeah. and like you know obvious, and you're gonna require Glaber's gonna require a mega deal so it's if is it if, if the choice is Glaber on a mega deal or one of these five shortstops, it's probably I'm probably taking one of the five shortstops because yeah, they, they've all proven that they are shortstops. Right. And you know that's important. Um,
1: real quick, two things. Um, Mike King touched ninety eight. Seriously? Yeah. Shout um, out Mike. <laughs> either that's like a broken gun or like, wow, because he doesn't even, he doesn't really throw like a straight four scene, too. It's like a sinker. No,
0: yeah, it's sinker two scene. like. Yeah. Mike uh, King is like, I love him, and like I think he could be so good. It's just he, he's almost infuriating to watch because he has great control, and he can, and his movement and all of it's so good. He just doesn't have a put away pitch because there's no good breaking stuff. Yeah. So it's just he he just gets everyone. I remember last year against the Mets, it's like every single batter got to 0-2 and then just like saw it off a single, yeah. and then they ended up scoring like four runs because he just could not strike anybody out. And you got to do that, stay in this league. So if he's saying 98, you know, maybe 98 with movement, he can strike people out.
1: Yeah. And then the second thing, uh, the 49ers GM, John Lynch, just said they went to ownership and they said things are looking good. They wanted to make this trade, but they want to keep Jimmy G. So that's keeping Right, – we're assuming at this point they're taking a quarterback with that They are,
0: right? Right. They're not – no one's trading
1: three first-round picks. Right. And or then, Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell, we just don't. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, but they're gonna keep a quarterback and Garoppolo. Um, my thing, like my initial thought here is like you take a guy, right? Say whether it's Jones, who apparently they like a lot, um, Lance or Fields, right? Um, you sit them a little behind Jimmy G first couple games, whatever. Jimmy G, we know what he is at this point. He's not going to win you many games. He'll keep you in them. But, you know, you can't rely on him. We saw that in, like, the Super Bowl. Um, I think they'll bring that rookie in maybe, like, halfway through the season. They'll tell Jimmy, you know, you're going to become a backup. Or they're just going to straight cut him because he doesn't have that much dead cap now in his contract. Um, what do you think they do there?
0: Um, I... I, I saw the reports about Mac Jones, and I just don't get that fit. One, I don't think Jones is that good. But yeah. besides that, Jones has the lowest ceiling of every quarterback in this – of the top five quarterbacks. Top like five, if we're talking yeah. about Lance Fields, Jones, obviously Lawrence, and Wilson. Yeah, He easily has the lowest ceiling. I don't trade three first-round picks for a guy who's, like, ceiling. I mean, I think is like, you know – Maybe like the 15th, 16th best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, but like, it doesn't make I, I think Jones is a really good fit with like Washington where it's a team that kind of has the whole team built and just needs to put in a competent quarterback. And I think Jones is a really good fit there.
1: See, but this is the thing. I think you could say that same thing about San Francisco, but I think San Francisco is at the point where they're not content with – you know, exactly. a quarterback yeah. like that. They need a guy that can actually raise the ceiling of everyone else, yeah. not just I, him. I
0: think Jimmy G is that guy. I, yeah. I think Matt Jones is very similar to Jimmy to Jimmy G. And like and they pro- like you don't trade three first round picks to take that guy. That's yeah. the guy you take when you sat at twelve. Like that's the guy yeah. you sit at twelve and, and just take. Like you just don't trade three first round picks to move him nine spots. Yeah. So you can take a guy who I mean is probably I mean not, not consensusly, but it's pretty is fairly the fifth best QB in this draft. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. So I do think it's Fields or Lance. I would take Fields. I and I don't know why it's like kind of been seen like it's Wilson and then a gap and then Fields. I think they are easy I on think, the same level. I, like I think them. that's just a
1: lot, a lot of like recency bias, bias mm-hmm. with the past year. I still think Fields is the clear-cut second-best prospect uh, in this class. I think it's Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Lance – Jones and then whoever else you want to have there, right? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. The Fields I feel like he drops. People are saying like he could drop to like Carolina, I think they pick at eight, right? Um that would that'd be crazy be to me. Yeah. Um that'd be a really cool fit too. You know, Joe Brady, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, McCaffrey there obviously. But yeah, Fields dropping that much just doesn't make sense to me. He put up amazing numbers and like that whole like stigma of, you know, being an Ohio State quarterback, like it's it's whatever stupid, it's just it's stupid just, like,
0: like one guy is not another guy right they, they just aren't
1: i mean yeah. yeah and like if you watch like i'm not saying like i have but looking at like numbers you can tell like haskins and fields are like different quarterbacks they're not they don't have like the same type of play style haskins is like a lot more like a pocket passer right yeah fields can move he runs like you saw it like in the championship when they played uh clemson like he was moving out of the pocket he was taking a big hit and he was like staying in there um yeah it doesn't make much sense to pass up a guy like fields or lance to me like lance has a phenomenal ceiling i think he has a really low floor because you know accuracy is pretty poor and that doesn't translate the best to the nfl unless like he makes a clear improvement but you know he's got the pocket strength uh Dude, the
0: arm he is so similar to josh allen yeah and like it's just yeah. it's so i mean both guys that you know small schools yeah. not great competition big with Giant arms, yep. and then and then they can move too.
2: That's another they the thing.
0: Yeah, they're so similar. Yeah, they it's can just move. like you know, it's I, I don't I I think San Francisco is not a bad fit for Lance at all. I think Debo Samuel's a really I think good one
1: right, there because they can both move out of the pocket. Shanahan's mm-hmm. never had a guy that can like give him that flexibility of like mm-hmm. moving out of the pocket. And I know I saw some report today. Someone was saying like Shanahan wants a guy he can kind of just control from the sideline. Which like makes you think it'd be a guy like Mac Jones, right? Where like, you know, he's not gonna play like out of the game plan that much. But I feel like they wouldn't be making this move if they didn't want to try to upgrade that offense. It doesn't really make sense to me.
0: If Mac Jones was their guy, like I just don't see if Mac Jones was their guy, I don't know why they made this move now. Damn. Like if, if anything, if you know, would...
1: trade up if you if Wait. you want Mac Jones that bad, trade up with the Eagles. You're not trading up with Miami.
0: Yeah. Yes. It, you trade up um, with the Eagles. You give up not three first-round picks. Yeah. And you are able to – I mean, yeah, you, you do the Miami-Philly trade, but for yourself, I mean, then who's in front of you? You have Miami in front of you who's not going QB. Maybe they would trade back with maybe Carolina. Yeah. But e- e- even in that position, I don't I – don't, the Falcons, I, I think, are the biggest wild card in the draft because like – They probably should go QB. Like, just get someone to sit behind Ryan. But Ryan's still pretty good. And then, you know, do they trade back with a division rival in Carolina? Do they help them out? I wouldn't do that if I was them. Mm -hmm. If I was them, you probably, you know, you call up the Pats and are like, how much will you give us to jump these 11 spots? But then all of a sudden, you're out of the top 14. Like, it's it's not an easy jump. It's not an easy drop. So... I think they're in a weird situation. I think they could really control a lot of this. But yeah, after them, it goes, um, who else is in front of Carolina? Detroit's not going QB. Uh, Maybe. I I mean, they're they're not. They're not going to get another QB on the golf roster, but maybe they should. But um, then the Eagles, I I do think before the, I I think that the Eagles may have traded down because the Jets are not
1: as Uh, oh yeah that yeah that makes sense
0: too. i think that that the eagles may have been holding out hope for one of the top guys to drop to them and now they just kind of now now they're like okay that's another like you're you're definitely going qb's top three and then if another team trades up four or five the our our guys are gone so yeah let's just get out of here um so yeah I, i just if it's mac jones i just don't get it i but you asked what I think they'll do. I, I actually do think it's going to be Lance. I think just Lance is just seems like a really good fit there. And I think it should be fields, but I do think it's going to be Lance. And, um, honestly, I think that's a great spot for Lance. I think he could really thrive there and that in yeah. an offense. There's a lot of deep threats on that team. So yeah, I think it ends up being Lance, but, um, I think you know we I think the dra- the draft is about I think it is exactly a month from today.
1: 4 weeks I think from now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's exactly a month. It's April 29th. So yeah. it's a month from today. So I man I mean so much can, is going is going to happen between now and then. Um I'm really interested honestly in the way this is going to fall. I've been very like every free agent move like with the Giants is has kind of made it bet made the draft look better for me. Where it was like before the free agency, it was like okay, you have to go wide receiver, and if one of these mm-hmm. three guys maybe you can include pits there, don't yeah. drop, you're screwed. And then after you count wide receivers, like okay, you probably want to go cornerback, and if one of these two guys doesn't drop your or three, I guess if you count Horn, then drop, you're mm-hmm. screwed. And now it's just like you, you 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 go best player available. I mean,
1: yeah, I think like one weird thing to look out for. Um, Caleb Farley has dropped a lot on boards and I I really don't hope they do this but I I feel like Gettleman could do a similar thing to where you know he traded up to get DeAndre Baker in the end of the first mm. I feel like they might do that with Farley it's just kind of like a gut instinct right now where they take their second you know a second rounder maybe next year or something trade up for a guy who was projected to be quarterback one of this class um you know he's had a lot of injuries and stuff that just feels like a gentleman type move uh I don't really know what they do at 11 now if it were me you know still take a wide receiver but not much to control there
0: yeah I, I just go best player available like really I mean it's just who, whoever's the highest guy on their boards, and hopefully they have a good guy on their boards Because I don't want them. Because the, the, if you're go, if you're drafting, you should never draft for need. But if at 11 they were drafting for need, the biggest need is an edge rusher, like easily. But there's no edge rusher worth taking. Yeah. After that, and if you're thinking about best player available and need, Slater is probably the best pick to make there, and go offensive line, and because like. But in terms, of, but I just think you know you go best player available. Best player available is Jalen Waddell at that point. You go Jalen Waddle. If the best player available is Michael Parsons, you go Michael Parsons. I think like, I really think that they want Parsons. Like they like it just seems. I mean, they they have his old coach who he loved on the as their defensive line coach now, and I just it just seems like a really good fit. I think he. I do think he'd be a fantastic fit in Graham's offense. I like. In, inside linebackers are always, you know, if if you should take him or whatever. But I I do think that he could be a kind of game changing kind of. I I think his ceiling is fantastic. I, I think he, he's a, I think he's the best defensive player in this class. Um, I think he should be a top ten pick. I don't like I, I don't I I I also think that as these char- the character concerns kind of do seem to be going out the window. It does seem like uh yeah it, he wasn't teams, as involved in yet. the
1: end. Like teams really don't care about that stuff.
0: Yeah, and you know, with someone like DeAndre Baker maybe we should have, but like <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I I think that Parsons is going to be very high on their board. I think he's the guy I could see them trading up for. I don't want them to trade up, man. Like If they even
1: if they take Parsons at this point, I'd be pretty disappointed. Really? Yeah, I don't like Parsons. I, like, I get the idea, like, you need a linebacker or whatever. It just kind of reminds me of Isaiah Simmons from last year. He's not going to translate well to, like, an NFL offense right away or defense right away. And you have such a glaring need on, like, if you want to go need, take an offensive lineman. You literally have, like, three second-year guys, a mm. guy you benched, and, like, a decent, uh, like, a mm. swingman playing center. Um, your offensive line sucks right now. You know, yeah. that's, like, what you want to say you need. That's your need. If you want to go best player available, there's going to be a wide receiver there. I think it's like one of those two choices right now.
0: I think that's fair. I um, I would not. I, I, I just don't. I just have this gut feeling that, that they're happy with their offensive line. I don't think they should be. I think they should be down for completely rebuilding it in this draft. Right. I don't think they're going to. My pick would be Slater. If he's there, I think that it's just a very, it makes, he looks great. I mean, he he's very, and there have been some people who still have him over Sewell, like, mm-hmm. and Penny Sewell's there, you rush to the podium. But, um, my pick would be Slater, and then maybe even take a guard in the second or third round, like a Wyatt Davis or the Dickerson out of Alabama, both, like, if they're on the I'd board. I like,
1: like, like Landon Dickerson a lot this
0: year. Yeah. I think he could be, a, he'd seem to gentleman him pick, honestly, like. Yeah, he's big. He's got the leadership like, thing. Like, he's a big guy. Hog Molly, exactly. SEC. He's got all those <laughs> those good things. Parsons, like I, I definitely get that Isaiah Simmons comparison, but I, I, I also do think that Isaiah Simmons would have done much better if he was in Patrick Graham's defense. Like I think yeah. that Patrick Graham's defense so, really gets the most out of these guys, and Simmons I think that
1: was weird too because people were time, right. It was that, plus, like, people were trying to project him as, like, converting to safety in the NFL, where, like, Parsons is, like, set, right? He can play Mike, linebacker, or off-ball. I just don't think that's a smart use of, like, the 11th pick, to, like, be honest.
0: I think, my, in the end, on all honesty, I think the best thing that, that they can do is trade down. They're, because yeah. they're I mean, not Because like, it's going. Yeah. But, one, you have a weird year of scouting because, you know, the pandemic. But then two, it's like this like I'm excited about the Giants. I think that they've really filled their needs very well in free agency. I think Jackson and Galladay are huge gets for this team. Mm. And I've I mean, I would not be mad at a wide receiver at eleven. I wouldn't be I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at Parsons. I would definitely I would love Pitts and trading Ingram. I think that would be a very good move. But um it's just at this point, you gotta get depth. You have to get guys and offensive line depth, you need defensive depth, you need wide receiver depth. You need to be able to just take a bunch of shots and try, and you can't do that with six draft picks. Yeah. What you can do that with is, you know, trade down from eleven to maybe maybe Mac Jones is still on the board, Pat the Patriots wanna get up there, so you trade out to Pats. Or and and you get a couple picks. And then maybe you do that in the second round too. It's just get it's like I I was going into it where I didn't want them to trade down, even though it's usually the right move to trade down. I didn't want them to do that this year because I thought they needed a blue chip wide receiver, which was Waddle, Smith, Chase, Pitts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I don't think that they need. I don't think that that's a need anymore because I do think Galladay is a blue chip guy, and you're it, it, you don't need to to. Stay in one spot for this one prospect. That's what Gediman always does. That's what he did with Barkley. That's what he did with Jones. When he yeah. when he zeroes in on a guy, he doesn't want to trade down. But this is the year where there's a, it's a really good draft, and you can just move down and just try to get as many guys as possible. And that's what they should do. I don't think that's what yeah. they're gonna do. Uh, um, we'll have to talk more about that as the draft Yeah, coach.
1: I've like have like all my thoughts on the Giants like finalized. I'm more interested to see like what other teams at this point do. Should be mm. a fun draft.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be a really good draft. It's it's a it's one. Of the, I think I mentioned this last week, but it's like it's one of the f- first drafts in a couple of years that I'm really paying attention to and trying to like. Mm. Maybe it's because the Giants are picking like in the middle, and it almost feels like they're like picking as a good team. And it's like <laughs> because the 11th pick never goes like that bad of a team. yeah like this but um, yeah, I'm. I- I mean, I know you're not, but I'm I ex- I'm letting myself get excited for this giant season. <laughs> it's a bad move because I was excited for last season, but this year's team, like, actually on paper is not atrocious. It's better, so, yeah. So, I don't know, man. We will see. Um, is that all you want to talk about for? Yeah, the Yeah,
1: I think we got everything. Um, Going to watch some March Madness tonight. Yeah.
0: dude. The uh, Alabama game. <laughs> dude,
1: I am a big UCLA yeah. fan for, like, no reason. UCLA and why. USC. I like
0: their jerseys. Yeah, dude, I like both their jerseys. Plus, like, their dude... Uh,
1: what's his name? The dude's name is Tiger Campbell, and you spell it with a Y. That's, that's <laughs> the dopest thing I've ever heard.
0: And plus, the kid on UCLA has the best hair in the tournament.
1: Johnny Drew Zang, and Campbell, yeah. They've got, like, the best hair duo in the whole tournament. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It, plus, they're, like, really fun to watch,
0: too. Yeah. Dude, UCLA is a good-ass team. I was tight at Oral Roberts' lost. <laughs> dude, that was just, like... I just want a 15 to admit the Elite Eight. That would just be so sick. Yeah. Like,
1: they were like, you know, yeah, I know we got to go soon, but uh, he, the coach drew up a really good play on that last. He got his guy, you know, best player look. in the country. He got him a clean look. You can't ask for anything else than
0: that. It was
1: a good shot, too. You know, just doesn't work out.
0: If they should, in the end, man, like, you look back at this, they should not have been a 15. Like, just, no. just straight this, up, like, they were not a bad. They were not that bad of a team. It's this just seating, tough is, the seeding this whole him.
1: year was bad. Um you Illinois was like screwed yeah. as
0: an 11.
1: Loyola Chicago was like – my friend was telling me this. I talked to him like on Friday or something. Loyola Chicago was like a top 10 team in Ken Palm this year. Yeah. And they got an 8 seed.
0: Yeah, it made no like, sense. Like, the, you, plus they Loyola, were playing Loyola. the
1: ACC champions in their first round. You're putting a, a top 10 Ken Palm team against the ACC champions, Georgia yeah. Tech, in oh, yeah, the first yeah, yeah. round. Like, And,
0: and then it, and then you're making them go up again. Yeah, Georgia Tech got under too. Yeah, they got it, screwed that they had to face Loyola in the first round. Yeah, plus like
1: Georgia Tech wasn't gonna win; they didn't have their best player. So like yeah. Loyola Chicago, right? They're a really good team. You're putting them against, you know, possibly a top two team in the nation, Illinois. It just, you know, didn't make sense to me this year.
0: Yeah, it was no, it was weird that they they were underseeded. It felt like um. UCLA. I feel like UCLA got underseated just so the committee could have them play Michigan State in the in a playing
1: one. game. Yeah.
0: They just they just wanted that that like look at these big mar like these big powerhouse schools going yeah. up for a chance to even make the tournament. It's right. like don't and, yeah, and UCLA has done the best with what they got handed. They Yeah, you know, I also think yeah,
1: yeah, I think Oklahoma State got underseded too uh, I thought they were better than a four seed, like a three yeah. probably. I thought and, they did. USC being a six didn't really make sense to me. Um, uh, I know, like, I know... That shows the
0: other day who got under yeah,
1: They didn't have, like, the best, you know, regular season record or whatever, but I, a team with the Mobley brothers, uh, Taj Eddy looked amazing. Um, they had a really good team. Not surprised they were a six. USC versus Zaga is going to be insanely fun.
0: Yeah, I dude, Zagger's so good. Like, they are ridiculous. Dude, like, I, the fact I, that I they think... Would be, they they were thirteen and a half point favorites against Creighton and Creighton's like a good basketball team but like Zaga's yeah. just that good like
1: I think I forget what it was uh I someone tweeted this I think USC has the number one like two point defense in the country and Zaga has the number one two point offense in the country it's gonna be a fun matchup
0: yeah that's a big one um all right that's all we got for you today in terms of us talking don't go anywhere there's a interview coming up it's a great interview really, really good content it. yeah really liked it so uh yeah i'm not gonna even say anything just interview listen. now just listen yeah keep listening hello everybody and welcome to nerd speak i'm adam koplik joined by ajay patel uh we have a special guest today we are joined by um please tell me if i pronounce this wrong Asma Toomey.
2: yeah perfect
0: Fantastic. Uh, she is the editor in chief of Hockey Graphs and the director of analytics at Pursue Care. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Absolutely, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: So, um, between the two of us, I me and Jay were talking about it before. Like, I am more of a hockey mind yeah. than he is, <laughs> and and um, so so. Just to start out in terms of hockey, this is obviously a sports anal- analytics podcast, and you know because we're so such a broad thing you know every sport has is such in such a different place so i was talking we were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago but if you see like where the mlb is in terms of analytics where it's like in you know every organization is fully on board with it basically except for like the rockies and it's just it's just (laughs) a mass thing Mm -hmm. what year or so like in the MLB pro- progression, would you say hockey is like, like where MLB was in like 2002? Is that like where hockey is now or is it like more advanced or is it even less advanced or?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I think if I were to make a guess, I'd say circa 2015, 2016, just cause I think, I mean, MLB is like a whole standard deviation above, you know, where hockey is with, with analytics and its implementation and the way it's used Uh, but you know hockey has made really significant strides in the past few years I want to say three to four years in terms of having tracking data and teams buying that and starting to hire people for the explicit purpose of putting that tracking data to work Uh, right now you know we're two to three years into that staff you know putting it to work so we're we're in the phase now where it's Pretty well integrated, I think, in most hockey teams for the purposes of strategy, contract negotiations, and such. So, yeah, I want to say we're we're a little behind, uh, maybe three, four years from the MLB, but not not that behind.
1: Would you say it's comparable to where the NFL is at right now? I know a lot of teams are starting to get more like player tracking data available to themselves. That sounds kind of similar to what hockey's at right now.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, and I, and I think this answer will change depending on who you ask. But I think the NFL might be a little behind hockey right now, just because, you know, just looking at a very simple thing, like number of analytics staff per NFL teams.
1: Yeah, it's
2: pretty scarce.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
2: not a lot. I mean, it depends. Obviously, you know, you have the Baltimore Ravens who have like a whole squad of maybe five people plus contractors. Um, And then you have teams who just have no one or they say they have no one. Maybe they they have contractors. Uh, But, you know, you can also see in in the way they carry themselves and their on field result that they probably don't have (laughs) anyone helping them out. But in hockey, I think if you were to look at the analytics rosters on every team, I think every single team has at least two people, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And you also have the Leafs who have like 12 or something. So just just looking at that, I think hockey may be ahead in terms of analytics adoption. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because, mm. you know, I, I, I've had some privileged discussions with some uh, NHL team analysts who, I mean, are employed there and, and they're doing their work, but, you know, there there's a lot of, you know, sometimes frustrations with, you know, they'll make a report or they'll build a model and they don't know if it's being used at all by the decision makers who should be using it. And on the flip side, you have NFL teams who have a contractor right like someone not even on the official website but you know they're they're putting it to use they have these regular meetings with coaching and with decision makers every week putting that kind of work work into action so it's it's a fluid situation but based on the conversations I've had and my impression I think I think hockey is a little ahead so if I were to make a ranking in terms of analytics adoption and innovation it definitely would be something like MLB hockey and then NFL right but the gap the gaps are the gaps are closing for sure Mm. there
0: so we were talking a couple weeks ago with um Max Greenfield and he was talking about like you know how MLB teams data is probably a couple years ahead of the public's and the public seems so advanced do you think that like that gap's even bigger in terms of public data versus team data in hockey where like you know there there's, there are obviously some very good hockey metrics, but the player tracking data just doesn't seem to be nearly as available at all in terms of for the public versus what these teams have.
2: Yeah, this is, this is another one of those questions that I think also depends on who you ask. But my opinion is that um, baseball is such a different sport than hockey, right? Baseball has all these discrete events that you can – Pick out and model and hockey is, in comparison, a very fluid sport. Um, yes, there aren't as many resources or many websites having data, but there's enough. There's enough out there that I think there there is still so much low-hanging fruit that public analysts can do. And I'll have to say, back back to the point of hockey being so fluid, it is a very difficult sport to analyze, okay? And so I'm not even sure that sometimes tracking data offers those huge advantages that people speak of. I believe that the tracking data in baseball compared to what's publicly available does provide that humongous advantage, but not so much for hockey. Mm. Um... Because, you know, no tracking data really is going to supersede the huge effect that like shot numbers have and just very simple metrics that we already have at our fingertips as the public. And, you know, I think I think that's why, you know, recently this weekend we had a we had the Ottawa hockey analytics conference. And a big portion of that conference was Big Data Cup Project. So that was a competition put out by staff leads, giving them a subset of a season's data at the junior level and women's hockey level. And they were, they were able to do really, really tremendous and innovate, innovative work with that tracking data. But I can't say that um, it's that much more advanced than what people have been able to do with, with public data. So and that's why I think there will continue to be this this really great collaboration between public analysts and also analysts in teams or working professionally for uh, data vendors such as athletes, because I think that's that's the sweet spot just you know having the public have access to that sometimes to double check their findings or to see if there's a extra little edge you can gain but also just the public analysts having access to their public data and innovating on that because once again there's so much low-hanging fruit to, to take care of
1: right um just kind of take a step back here especially for myself I think this would help what would you say or like direct a person who's just trying to get into hockey analytics how would you like tell them to get into it?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it depends on someone's learning style. So there are people who learn best by doing. And if you're that type of person, then I would seek out GitHub repos of people putting in their entire code, downloading, yeah. cloning that repo, having it on your computer and just like line by line trying to figure out what's happening, what they're doing usually people are pretty good at commenting and stuff, so you're, you're not going to be totally lost. So that's, that's what I would recommend if you're a, a doer kind of learner. If you're a person that, you know, is enthusiastic about hockey but doesn't feel like you have the domain expertise to really start asking your own questions, that kind of thing, then I think, you know, reading up uh, on hockey graphs on certain topics that you happen to be interested in, I think most posts are written... Um, or written simply enough that, that you know, you can get up to speed with some complicated hockey concepts. So getting that, that background, and then maybe using that as a springboard to ask your own questions, and then figuring out what are the, what are the programming tools you're going to need? What kind of statistical frameworks you're going to need to answer that type of question? Uh, What you can also do is there's a lot of work that is now pretty old, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 era that needs updating. Right. The league is constantly changing. I think that's that's such a great way to learn is to take someone's old work and try to redo it and replicate it. So I think that's those are the true and tested ways in which I've seen people break break into the field.
0: So like kind of with that, in term from like from lesser so like someone trying to get in the field and just more so like the fans' perspective. Like I feel like hockey is very similar to baseball. I mean, if I, probably every sports like this, but where you know there are a lot of traditionalists who you know like old school whatever. And you know those traditionalists in baseball, you know, despite the sport being so advanced at this point, and you know analytics being like half of fans being pretty well accustomed to it. How do you think you're able to kind of get those traditionalists to almost like come over and uh, to understand these stats? Because, you know, I, I know I think it was uh, Steve Valliquette who works at MSG and like, he made a whole video breaking down like expected goals. So how do you think the league should try to, you know, uh, bridge that gap between traditionalists and trying to get them to understand analytics and the future of the sport, really?
2: Uh, Adam, are you asking, like, trying to bridge that gap between fans that are traditionalists? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the NFL has had a lot of success, and the MLB, too, has had a lot of success with that because they've started, you know, implementing simple statistics during the actual broadcast, Uh, you know, things like completion percentage and, and whatnot. And those things are simple enough that the audience can digest in three seconds or four seconds. So hockey can certainly do the same thing. They can try to slowly push these metrics such as expected goals onto the broadcast. It's not done yet, um, but that is something that, they're, that they really ought to do because bringing analytics into the viewing experience just gives you just yet another dimension as a fan to enjoy the sport uh that's why I like it you know yeah sure I like math and I like stats and I like programming but I also like to you know I see something on the ice and I'm like hmm that's interesting like that's a little out of character for this for this person or or is it so (laughs) show show me some numbers I want to know if what I'm seeing is 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 real or not. So, I think a lot of fans even though, you know, they're not mathy or or, or nerds, you, you know, could ask themselves that question. So, I think they need to do that. They they do a little bit of that truthfully with SAS, the some data vendor place, but uh I think they do it with just really simple shot shot differentials, but not anything like expected goals. So, I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping they go into that direction. And um, yeah, so I asked that clarification question, you know, did you mean fan traditionalists? Because there's also traditionalists within hockey clubs themselves. And, and I alluded to this earlier, uh, but there is some tension and sometimes analysts do work and it's not being adopted and sometimes outright ignored. So actually, in, in last, the last weekend's conference, Mike Johnson, who's a former NHL player and now a broadcaster, had said, you know, that he's spoken to some coaches. And whenever they get that report from the analytics staff, I mean, they just toss it aside. They don't even look at it. <laughs> so uh, how, you know, how do you make that better? I I think it starts with analysts having to sit down with coaches And trying to get inside their brain, because as analysts, like, I mean, you can just geek out all by yourself, just create all sorts of sophisticated models or whatever. But if it's, if your coach isn't understanding it, or the executives aren't understanding it, or they're not at least understanding like the value or how it could make their job easier, of course, it's not going to be read, of course, it's not going to be integrated Mm -hmm. into anything. So how do you fix that? Well, you need to sit down with them. And you need to ask them some really basic questions like, wh- like, what do you value? What would you like to know on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to know that we're right on track? And so you need to hear them out and try not to be judgmental or correct them or be like, well, actually, this is ro-. like, mm. don't don't do that. You got to listen to them, see what they value. And then you have to go back to your own computer and really think hard about how your tools or how your models could help could help answer those questions for them. And then the next meeting, you can you can present a report that answers those questions they've asked you. And then that relationship, you know, if you have a regular cadence of meetings every week or so, before you know it, you know, you're you've built a report that is that is going to be used by them. And then that's that's how I see really a successful a successful relationship looking like between analysts and decision makers. And it's the exact same way that we are in industry, right? I'm in healthcare now. That's that's what I do. I regularly sit down with the CEO and CFO. And I get inside their head, what do they value? Okay. I go back and I'm like, okay, let me create a model for that. Let me let me let me structure the data. Let me structure some tables and some graphs such that it's it's exactly how they understanding and what they want. And when you have that kind of relationship where they trust you to show them what they want and what they need, then you can start like pushing some more like advanced sophisticated stuff that they might not have considered before. But that really is after you establish that trust and after they've seen that, that, you know, you, you, you do good work. So Mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping more and more clubs understand this and you know, it's, You know, it's not so simple where you could be like, hey, coach, I want to sit down with you for an hour every week. Like, they're probably not going to want to do that. They're busy or whatever. But that's something that the higher higher ups need to make a priority, right? If you are paying Mm -hmm. analysts half a million dollars every year out of your budget, then it is up to you to force those conversations and to force those meetings or else you're once again, you're just losing money. Everyone's losing in this situation. So.
0: So just like a quick follow-up to that. So do you think that, like, maybe even compared to other sports, it's even harder for hockey, hockey, you know, analytics people in these organizations because hockey kind of recycles that same, those same, like, you know, 15 to 20 coaches that just seem to always just – Get fired and get a new job. So it's kind of harder oh my to God, yes. with the traditionalists.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sorry I interrupted you because I got really You're excited good. about what you said, because that is exactly it. Okay. We are recycling the same kind of people, just like hockey careerists, old hockey players who have found success by not paying any attention to analytics like analytics didn't even exist like 20 Mm -hmm. or 15 years ago so so they're like why am i going to use this if it hasn't brought me success and it hasn't brought like my club success so far like why right like why change things when things are just going swimmingly uh so that that is that is part of it but i have to say that you know the traditionalists will sometimes complain on media, very obnoxiously, that these things are useless, that they don't use them or whatever, but they do, they do. There's not a single team in which analytics is not brought up for the purposes, for example, of contract negotiation. So, so I think, you know, very grateful for the people that get it, and that can see how analytics can supplement strategy and supplement some of this stuff. Uh, but for the people that are still resisting it, sure, they'll resist it publicly, maybe even privately. But it's just a reality now that analytics are here; they're actively being used in every facet of the game, every facet of the organization. And uh, yeah, you just hope that more, more and more people like you know you guys get into it and, and start and start changing the sport a little bit. Um, I see some progress there in terms of diversity, right? Like very recently, Katarina Wu got hired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. She did the Hockey Graphs mentorship program with Sam Ventura, who's their director of analytics, uh, Namita Nanda Kumar, who, who is now a senior quantitative analyst for the Kraken um carolina hurricanes hired a data scientist coming from academia she used to do some neuroscience research now works there so with with more and more hirings in that direction i think we're going to see a really positive change in the sport and the way um yeah the way it's conducted
1: uh yeah i just had one more question um just about like data science in general um Mm -hmm. I know you worked with like NFL data and the Big Data Bowl this year. Uh, your submission was great, by the way. Thank um,
2: you.
1: How easily translatable do you think like data science tools and like kind of like the toolkit you have are to like applied to like different fields such as like different sports or even healthcare, like you do?
2: Yeah, that's that's funny you you mentioned that because I actually got into data science in healthcare because of the data science doing I, I was doing in sports. So that's, that was my first exposure to data science was doing sports projects. And in doing those sports projects, I mean, you're, you're using statistical techniques that are used in industry and in very, very serious work. So I remember I did a project on zone entries in hockey using Bayesian additive regression trees, uh, which is a machine learning Bayesian approach. And I remember from my interview for a healthcare position – as a data analyst, I brought that up. And it it made for a really, really good discussion and interview. And they were impressed by the fact that, you know, I was so into this stuff that I was willing to do it in my spare time. And sports data is sometimes more complex than the data I work with in, in healthcare, just because sports data has all these dimensions, right? Like it's, You can do descriptive, predictive work on it. It's spatial temporal data. Not everything is spatial temporal. Anytime you inject time and and space into it, it makes it significantly harder. So it's the, the overlap really is, is very, very, very strong. And there, there isn't really a month that goes by without me being inspired by some approach that a sports analyst has done, and I try to apply it to my work. And the reverse is also true. Uh, there are techniques in, in healthcare and frameworks in healthcare that I apply back to sports, especially in terms of causal inference. Causal inference is really the strongest type of An analysis you can do because you're establishing a cause and effect as opposed to a correlation, which is just an association, right? So just awesome, awesome overlap, just so exciting in data science uh, to be in data science right now. Things are constantly evolving. So if you're the type of person that loves learning, loves trying out new things um then definitely get into this and get into this however you want whether it's through sports projects or whether getting an internship or doing some research project for two months in the summer or even trying to score a data analyst gig if you can in an ngo or the hospital or or wherever definitely do that
0: yeah uh, i didn't understand like half the words that you said like in (laughs) these big math words but hopefully i will after i study data science for a couple of years (laughs) so um yeah, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it's yeah. really – it's such a cool thing, Just data science as a whole. I mean, we, we both want to study in college and just, you know, the different yeah. fields you can put it to. But, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This was a yeah. great conversation.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Right. Um, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for joining us. Oh, but um, Asma, would you like to, you know, plug your Twitter and where you work and all that good stuff? Sure,
2: yeah. You can find me on Twitter at – Asmae, A-S-M-A-E, underscore to me, That's T-O-U-M-I. And please check out my blog, Hockey Graphs. And if you're interested in being a student and getting a mentor, please do apply. We're going to start another round in August.
0: All right. Well, yeah, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This has been NerdSpeak, and, uh, and we'll see you later this week.
1: All right.